We're going to go to Acts chapter 2. How creative was that for Pentecost Sunday? All right. <laughs> and I'm aware of the clock, so let's get rolling. All right. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, the sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? They could tell by their accent. I don't know if you've ever thought of that. Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Well, praise the Lord. Go back to the upper room, John chapter 14, and Jesus has told his disciples he's going to be leaving them, and they're not ready to hear that. Imagine the fear of loneliness, the disorientation of what are we going to do without Jesus here? Well, then he tells them, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. I put a quote in the bulletin sermon notes there because I want to make sure you're able to take this with you. But Samuel Chadwick said, the Christian religion is hopeless without the Holy Ghost. In a world filled with hopelessness, it would be a great tragedy for the church to not be filled with hope. And yet, that seems to be the growing trend as entire denominations are abandoning basic Christian beliefs and giving way to worldly thinking. How can the church provide hope if we affirm the same behaviors that cause confusion and to individuals trying to figure out their identity and their purpose in life? I came across this quote this week. Jesus didn't eat with sinners and collectors. He wanted to appear inclusive, tolerant. He ate with them to call them to die to self and live for him. His call is to a transformation of whatever identity they choose. You could say amen there. But <laughs> when the church abandons the radical call to a transformed life, which is given only by Jesus, the church then loses her bold authority, begins to operate as a nonprofit charity. So our world is desperate for this kind of hope. And as we come to worship on Pentecost Sunday, 
I want to talk about the hope of the Holy Spirit. Well, they were baptized with fire. So water baptism is a sacrament in Christian churches. We place primary importance on it. It is a testimony of, of the sins forgiven and the life changed by God's power. But have we given enough emphasis to the baptism of Jesus? John the Baptist talked about it. He said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So the record in the upper room from Pentecost is they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. If you're a Christ follower this morning, I trust you've been baptized with water, but have you received the baptism of Jesus with the Holy Spirit and fire? When we recognize our need for salvation, we come to Jesus, we repent of our sins, we receive his forgiveness, we're born again to live a new life, and we're baptized in water to testify about our choice to follow Jesus. We believe that Pentecost shows us that this baptism with the Holy Spirit and fire happens separately from the moment of salvation. What God did in the upper room at Pentecost was to believers— was to those who'd already chosen to follow Jesus. And it's the work he desires to complete in every believer today. Baptism with fire. And it deals with our selfishness that keeps God from being able to flow freely through our lives. You know, every Christian wants to be spirit-led. It's like, oh God, have your way in me. But we also want to control things. <laughs> and that's the problem. E.M. Bounds said, the Holy Spirit must have freedom or he will have nothing. So this baptism with the Holy Spirit and fire is for born-again believers who will sur surrender everything to God. Just as God did in the upper room at Pentecost, he sends his Spirit to purify us, to empower us, and to reign in us. Well, we talk about being filled with the Spirit the Spirit of God. And are we filled with God's Spirit once and for all? And according to the Bible, it doesn't seem that way. Now, on the day of Pentecost, the Bible tells us that all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Then in Acts chapter 4, when, remember when Peter and John were arrested, they were released after a night in prison, they returned to the believers who were gathered, and they all prayed. And Acts 4.31 tells us that after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. In Ephesians 5.18, Paul told the Christians in Ephesus, be filled with the Spirit. And the, the Greek literally means to keep on being filled with the Spirit. The grammar tense, the verb tense is the present continuous tense, keep on being filled with the Spirit. So if every Christian was filled with God's Spirit at one point, and if they remained filled from that point forward, why would Paul command them to keep on being filled with the Spirit? I love to eat at a restaurant that has free refills on their drinks. There's free refills here of God's Spirit. The hope of the Holy Spirit. I just want to give you three things here quickly these just came to my mind as I was writing, and there's, the, the list has to be way longer than this, but what do we have 
when we're baptized by God's Holy Spirit. And that's the hope of the Holy Spirit, okay? So the first one is power over sin. Years ago, I drove by an Amoco gas station, and they had posters out near the street. They were advertising a new additive that was being put into their gas. And the sign said, power through purity. I was already a Nazarene preacher. Well, that caught my attention. I wrote it down. It's like, that'll preach. Power through purity. We believe that the baptism with fire is a purifying work from God, that he removes the sinful nature from us when we surrender to him and we're baptized with the Holy Spirit. The overpowering presence of the sinful nature is described in Romans 7, and it's not a pretty description. Paul said, it seems to be a fact of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is an another law at work within me that is at war with my mind. This law wins the fight and makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am who will free me from this life dominated by sin. Well, the removal of the sinful nature is the victory the Apostle Paul um, then mentioned in, at the end of chapter 7 in Romans. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, he gives us the victory. So we're no longer compelled to walk according to the flesh, but we choose to walk according to the Spirit, and there's great power in that, power to live in victory over sin. The, the second piece of hope that we have through, um, through the Holy Spirit is power to stand in the battle. Ephesians chapter 6 highlights the spiritual battle we're in as Christians. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. How can we hope to come against supernatural evil power, the power of the devil, how can we come against that without the power of the Holy Spirit in us? Paul tells the Ephesians, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now we can, then he goes on to describe the, the full armor of God, and we can intellectually understand the pieces of the armor. We can imagine them in our mind, the sword, the shield, the belt, the helmet, and on. But without the power of the Holy Spirit, we won't have the power we need to stand in this world against the flood of evil that is flowing out there against us. But that's our hope with the Holy Spirit. And one third area, and this is really where our world is heading, and we really need to be able to proclaim this boldly as Christians. We have, we have power to understand our identity. The understanding of your identity begins on the first page of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So then you get over to Colossians, and Paul is writing to that church there, and I don't know what all they were having to deal with, but it was some sinful stuff. And here's what he said to them. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways. He's talking to spirit-filled believers. 
You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. You have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Go back to Genesis 1. What's the image he created us in? Do you know who you are as a child of God? It's a fascinating study to pursue that. Neil Anderson's made a ministry out of helping people know who they are in Christ. He operates a ministry called Freedom in Christ Ministries. What I've seen is too many Christians who live some kind of a, a watered-down version of the life-changing gospel rather than living in the authority and the power of being a spirit-filled believer, baptized by the Holy Spirit and fire. Our desire is to follow God but we're never, we've, if we've never set our whole being to doing it, if we've never surrendered, if we've never given ourselves completely to God, we will live short of the privileges and short of the power that God has for each of his children. Who, are, who you are in Christ. And I just, I just copied a couple pages out of Neil Anderson's book called The Bondage Breaker. And uh, this, this part of his book is called The Christian Spiritual Identity. He's got scripture verses, references that go with every one of these. I'll start in Romans. Um, I am a son of God. God is spiritually my father. I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I share inheritance with him. I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm a member of Christ's body. 2 Corinthians 5.17, I'm a new creation. Uh, I am reconciled to God. I'm a minister of reconciliation. I am a son of God and one in Christ. I am an heir of God. I am a saint. I am God's workmanship, his handiwork prepared for his work. I'm a fellow citizen with the rest of God's family. I am righteous and holy. I am a citizen of heaven, seated in heaven right now. I'm hidden with Christ in God. I'm an expression of the life of Christ because he is my life, Colossians 3, 4. I am chosen of God, holy and dearly loved. I am a son of light and not of darkness. I'm a holy partaker of a heavenly calling. I share Christ's life. I am one of God's living stones being built up in Christ as a spiritual house. I am a member of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Would you claim your identity in Christ by being baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire and live boldly because you've laid your life down in surrender to the one who is ready to baptize you with the baptism of Jesus? Well, there's unconditional surrender. I'm reading through Jim Simbola's book he wrote for pastors during the pandemic called He says, when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941, the U.S. suddenly found itself plunged into a situation that had tried hard. For those of you who know your history, you know that Germany had united with Japan um, and we were facing war on two fronts, two parts of the world. By 1944, the Japanese realized they had picked a fight with a country that was too big for them to defeat. Their military resources dwindled forces as their forces um, decreased as well. They got... Of they stunned the world as they unveiled a new weapon. Unable to compete with U.S. air power, the Japanese started producing flimsy planes as fast as they could. And these, these planes had two deadly secrets. One was a bomb that was mounted in the plane 
and the other was a pilot who had sworn a sacred oath to his emperor to fly the plane directly into a battleship or an aircraft carrier. Those pilots were fully surrendered. They were ready to do whatever it takes for Japan to have victory in that war. What the army found out was they couldn't build those planes fast enough. That there were 3,800 of these suicide missions flown by the Japanese, killing 7,000 Allied troops. The kamikaze program introduces an important fact. When you find yourself facing who truly doesn't care if you live, if they live or die, so long as they complete their mission, you have a real problem on your hands. You can't threaten or intimidate them. You can't buy them off or negotiate with them. And when a believer is dedicated to their mission, they become a powerful weapon in the hand of God. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12 said, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Jesus surrendered himself and died for us. And now he asks us to lay down our lives for him in a total surrender, unconditional surrender. And after Jesus gave his life for us at the cross, is it too much to ask for that kind of response? No. He has every right to ask us to lay down our own lives, to live for him. William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, taught that the greatness of a person's power is the measure of their surrender. The greatness of a person's power is the measure of their surrender. I'm going to invite the worship team to come to the front. Would you, would you come with the attitude of, Lord, here's my heart. Here I am. Here's all of me. I give it to you. Take the sin nature out of me. Baptize me with fire. Purify me. Make me completely yours. Fill me. Empower me. Refill me. I receive the hope of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask you to stand reverently where you are. Our altars are always open in this church. And it may be that today... You just need to humble yourself and say, Jesus, you did all this for me. I'm going to come and just lay myself here in surrender. It's an altar of living sacrifice where we give ourselves completely to God. Perhaps you're a believer today and you've, you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire, but you know that, that you need a refill. <laughs> There's free refills today. <laughs> So, I don't want you to check out yet. Would you, would you hold on just a couple more minutes? This could be the moment for you that will make the rest of your week or the rest of your life. So, as the worship team leads us in song, um, would you respond to God and be obedient? Lord, would you help us? We're in your presence. The power of this day in church history is more than we probably understand. We know that you have something for us, and we don't want, to, we want all that you have for us, God, that we would be marked by you, 
your baptism, your presence, your fire touching our lives, filling us with all of you. We surrender. confronts us and as you've heard his truth today you've you've probably felt the holy spirit speaking to you you've had to make a decision will i receive what he's asking will i obey what he's telling me or will i resist that i hope you have pursued him today as his truth has confronted us and if not do not delay god wants all of us but when he has all of us what he can do is beyond what we can know in this moment. It's miraculous. Let's live for him in his power. Jesus, we are yours. Thank you for the truth of this day that brings us back 
to the understanding of your desire that we would be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire, that in our surrender that you would have a right of way in us that would accomplish miraculous things, eternal things that we couldn't plan in advance, but you have already desired for us. So I pray, God, you would strengthen us as your people. You would, you would build us up as a church that we truly would go to proclaim the hope from the Holy Spirit that is ours because of Pentecost. We rejoice in you. We want to live for you. Send us, enable us this week to live in victory through your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen and amen. Thank you for being here today. God bless you as you go.